time with a backlit pile of rubble behind him, just a pile of junk, rubble. What didn't start that way, but it was now. And so as they're getting ready to wrap up the interview about all the devastation and the storm and how awful it really is, the anchorman asked that question that every newsman asks that's just a terrible question. So how does that make you feel? Well, it made him feel bad. I mean, he was the mayor of the town and most of it had been destroyed, but he said what all mayors are supposed to say, we're gonna build, we're gonna rebuild, we're gonna come back strong, we're not gonna let this defeat us, we're not gonna be knocked down by this. So, Mr. Mayor, what is that behind you? And the mayor looks down and kind of shovels his feet a little bit and says, that's my house. And the anchorman, who obviously doesn't know this in advance, says, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't know you were standing in the wreckage of your own house. Yes. Well, how does that make you feel? And the mayor says, well, it's just like getting hit by a big truck. My wife looks at me and she says, did you hear what he said, honey? I said, yes, I heard what he said. She said, honey, your life is a standard for misery. As only a wife could say. So my life is kind of a standard for misery. I was killed in a car crash on the way to church. Uh, did we get the PowerPoint? Is it working? Okay. Um, that's the misery that I'm talking about. Um, I um, was driving to church, and I was um, uh, on, the, on the way home from a conference, kind of like this one, you know, everyday conference. It ended, and I'm on my way. It was a morning, and it was raining, and it was miserable, just a terrible day. And uh, I uh, was crossing an old bridge, and an 18-wheeler crossed the center stripe and hit me head on. I was killed instantly. Uh, there were four vehicles involved in the accident, horrific accident. Miraculously, nobody else was hurt in the accident but me, although all four vehicles were completely destroyed. So the other people were treated and released. Four paramedics worked on me to try to resolve my injuries, tried to resuscitate me, tried to bring me back. They did every trick in the book, tried to restore my life. They were unsuccessful, so I was pronounced dead on the scene by four paramedics. We were talking at lunch today. If, with the catastrophic injuries that I had, uh, anyone would have bled out in less than five minutes. But I was dead. My heart was not beating, so I did not bleed out. Uh, some of the most amazed people by this entire scenario were the medical people. They just had never seen anything like this. So it was really a miracle that I uh, was able to survive the accident. But while I was dead in the car for an hour and a half, I made a trip to heaven. And I want to say to you <clears throat> that tomorrow night we're going to focus on that visit to heaven. Uh, so if you know anybody who's not ready to go, you need to make sure they're here tomorrow night. Because we're taking reservations. In fact, somebody's calling right now to find out about it. <laughs> so... We're taking reservations tomorrow night, and, and tonight I want to kind of focus on how to, how, to, how to live on the way there, how to get through the slings and arrows of this life, because as I mentioned last night, if you live long enough, you're going to need a miracle in your life. Right. There are difficult, painful things that happen in this existence. Yeah. I had a doctor actually tell me when I was laying in the bed like that, and I was in such great pain. He said, well, you know, Don, I know you're in great pain. He didn't know because he didn't have it. He was just telling me that. He said, you know, but pain really just means you're alive. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. 
And I said, I must be the most living person on the planet because I'm in great pain. I, I question his bedside manner, but um, there is pain in life. And tomorrow night we're going to talk about, one of the things we're talking about heaven tomorrow night is that there is no pain in heaven. Can I get a witness? I mean, no pain. So if you know somebody who's in pain, emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual, they need to be in one of these green chairs tomorrow night. Amen. So we're talking about pain, and we're talking about heaven, and why there is none there, and why there is a lot of other really good stuff there. Well, so while I was laying in the, in the car, the wreckage of the car, I had a visit to heaven. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what the Bible says happens, and that's what happens if you're ready. Mm-hmm. Last night I referenced uh, a sec- section of Scripture from John chapter 14, where Jesus is preparing his followers for his imminent death at the Last Supper. We're all going to have one of those one of these days. And uh, he talks about heaven. Who better than a carpenter king to build us a better place? So here's what he says. I go to prepare a place for you. Now I want to say very clearly, Jesus would not have chosen the word place if it wasn't a place. This is a place. This is a nice place. But one of these days, this won't be here. And neither will you. Heaven will be. It's an eternal place. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I do, I will come again. And he is. Imminently. I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you will be also. We discussed last evening that the best thing about heaven is you are with God. You're with God. We're not trying to conjure God. We're not trying to see if He'll show up. We're in His place. So we're with God. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come back and receive you unto myself. And then He reminds them of where, uh, of, of the things He said about heaven while He was here and preparing them for heaven. And they have not paid attention. And we know this because of Thomas's response to what Jesus says. Jesus says, and you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. Thomas says, no, we, we don't. We forgot. How do I get to heaven? And Jesus makes this statement, which I think is one of the most profound and direct statements found in the Bible. I am the way. So there's your answer right there if you're looking for heaven and how to get there. I am the way. But he emphasizes it by saying, I am the truth. Of course, that's what the world could use a big dose of. And I am the life. And that's what you're living right now, but it won't be permanent here. As I mentioned last night, the death rate here is 100%. You're not going to get out of this alive unless Jesus returns while you're here. So we're all going to die. And I'm trying to be realistic here because the reason is you need to be prepared for that. And that's why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. You have to be prepared for the place. So I'm laying in the car. A man crawls in the car at God's direction and instruction and prays over my dead body. Many other people are praying for me. They don't know that I'm dead. They just heard I was in a bad wreck. So they're all praying. This goes on for an hour and a half. At the conclusion of the hour and a half, they're all praying. The man in the car is now singing over my body. And as he sings the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, I start singing it with him. And he got out of the car really fast. In, in, Texas, in Texas, where I come from, we would say, pronto. 
He got out pronto. It means the same thing, but it's just fast. Then he went over to the policeman who let him get in the car in the first place and said, Officer, the dead man is singing. So they got me out of the car. They, uh, trade, they took me to a series of hospitals. From an 11.45 a.m. accident, I, I round up in the hospital in Houston at the level one trauma center at 6.15, six and a half hours later, and which is another miracle that I you know, got there and still lived, barely. And uh, I would be in a hospital bed from that night forward for 13 months and have 34 major operations to put me back together again. So what we discussed last night is answered prayer and miracle. Yes. And I'm a product of both of those things. I believe God answers prayer. Over in the little book of James, chapter 5, it begins with this question. Is any one of you in trouble? Well, I mean, could we all answer that question? Yes, at least one time, maybe right now. Maybe right now. But at least in your life, you could, if, if, if God looked at you and said, Is any one of you in trouble? You would say, I am me. I'm in trouble. Well, the next words following that question, which tells you how relevant the Bible is. Is any one of you in trouble? The next, the next, wor- the next words are, then he should pray. That's, that's where the resolution begins to come from, is praying, talking to God. And we're all children of God, whether we acknowledge it or not. And he wants to hear from his children. And we are his children. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, if you're a parent, grandparent, wow, you want to hear from your kids. That's right. That's right. And God wants to hear from his children. Mm-hmm. So that's what prayer is, talking to God. These people all talk to God, and I lived. I didn't have a thing to do with my survival. I had a choice. I would have stayed in heaven not come back here, mm-hmm. even Vermont. Come on. Come or on. New Hampshire, <laughs> New York, Connecticut. Canada. I wouldn't have come back here. But they were praying and God said yes. Then a lot of miracles had to happen for me to survive the accident. I was told I would never walk again. Uh, Even if that uh, frame, the uh, bone growth device on my left leg, I lost four and a half inches of my femur. uh, Ejected from the car and never found. So I didn't literally have a leg to stand on on that side. And um, it was... uh, uh, it was a horrific injury. You may know that the femur is the largest bone in the human body. In an adult male, it's about the size of your wrist. It's a very large bone because it has to support your entire body weight from there up. Well, I'm missing four and a half inches of it. And there is no comparable bone anywhere in the body that you can transplant to that place. So they used this experimental device that was only patented three weeks before my accident in this country to stretch the bones. Those halos, there are four of them, are uh, embedded in me. The wires and the rods from the halos are going through me, through the bone, what's left of it, and out the other side, and connected on the bottom half of the halo. And they broke my leg in a place further up the leg, and then they turned screws on the halos four times a day to try to stretch the bones to replace the bone that's missing. So I wore that thing for a year, um, you can't see the arm very well. Can we go back to that uh, horizontal picture, maybe? Uh, it's coming up. This is a very gru- a gruesome picture. I'll warn you in advance. It's before this. Um, and it, yeah. You can see where they put my arm back on. Um, and the skin on the arm, um, now that you've seen that, I hate to ask you, brother, if we can go back to the original one. You can see where they took the skin off of the other arm, that's heaven tomorrow night. 
they took the skin off my leg to put it on my arm. And then you could see where my right leg was also broken at the knee and uh, went the other direction, not the direction it's supposed to go. Uh, so uh, internal injuries, uh, brain damage, I had a, uh, just a whole raft of injuries that were all uh, deadly. Yes. Uh, all of them, any of them could have been deadly. And they were, but I'm now back here in the hospital bed. And so many miracles had to happen just to get me there, to that situation, to, to be in a, in a situation where I'm, I was in a place that might be able to help me eventually have some kind of normal life. But I would never be the same again. So I believe in miracles, and I suggest that some of you probably could use one, yeah. like right now miracle. So I, I, I make no mistake about it. In that same scripture I referenced last night, that John chapter 14, Jesus makes the statement that after he leaves here, anyone who has faith in him will do greater things than he did while he was here. So miracles abound. Uh, they're, they're all over the place. I was um, preaching a revival in, uh, in uh, uh, let's see, what's the name of that town? Cal- Talkeetna. Talkeetna, Alaska, in the shadow of Mount Denali, or Mount McKinley, as you might have known it. And it's the largest mountain in the Western Hemisphere, and it's, um, it's enormous. It just casts a shadow of everything. So I'm in this revival, and the first night of the revival, it was four nights, started on a Sunday and finished on a Wednesday. The first night of the revival, uh, I'm introduced to the man who was leading, leading the music. His name is Alan. Alan couldn't sing if you held a gun on him. He was a terrible <laughs> singer. And uh, he sounded like he gargled with Drano. He was uh, not a good singer, but he was willing. You know, he was willing. So every night before the service, we would pray together. Uh, the, the pastor and Alan and me, and we would go out and pray. And uh, he would always ask for prayer for his voice. You see, Alan had cancer, throat cancer. But he was, he was up there giving it his best shot. So every night we would pray. The last night, Wednesday night, before the revival started, I was kind of ambushed in the lobby, which happens a lot. And so I'm not getting in there to pray with Alan. And I really uh, was kind of disappointed because I, I wanted to see him certainly before the revival concluded and we were going away. If you're having a real revival, it shouldn't conclude. It just, just keep going. But we were having the last, uh, last service, uh, scheduled service. So... Um, I go into the service, and I, while they're, they're standing to sing, uh, I walked in and sat down on the front row of the seats, and Alan asked everybody to stand, and then he proceeded to lead the music with a voice that sounded like an angel. And he looked down at me as he was leading, and he just winked and said like this, like, we've been praying for this, and it happened today. So... I see miracles all the time. I, I think God is in the miracle business. I've been in churches and uh, maybe had, I, I can remember several times when a, when a couple would come to the book signing table, and we'll sign books after this is over with. They, they came to the book table and um, they were tearful and very emotional and they had left the hospital, just left the hospital to come to the church service. And, and here's what they would say. Our son is in the hospital uh, very near death. He was in a car crash or he, was, uh, he, he has terminal cancer. And, and we, just, we, left someone, we left someone with him. He's not alone. But we came over here and we want to hear about heaven because we think that's where he's going. And we wonder if you would pray for him. Well, we stopped everything and prayed for him right there. 
I've been back to those places three or four years later, same couple walks up to the table, and then they move out of the way, and their son is standing right there. I've seen it happen. Because God is still in the miracle business. Well, I had a tough time of this. I, I really did. I, I was told I would never walk again in spite of that thing. I was told that I wouldn't really be able to use my arm in spite of the fact they put it back on again. And you may notice that since most of the, the, the catastrophic injuries happened on one side, it's kind of the same thing as having a stroke. You know, you can't use one side of your body at all. So getting out of the car on that side is very, very challenging for me for the most part. Uh, there's a lot of things I can't do with my left side because it just doesn't work. Um, so I knew that I was facing that at the bare minimum. And then not being able to stand, I was concerned about ever standing in a pulpit again and preaching. Uh, I was an avid bicyclist. I rode sometimes 50, 60 miles on the weekends. I knew I would never be able to make the pedal go around again. I knew that I would never ski again. I knew I would never play tennis again. I knew I would never play catch with my boys again. I knew a lot of things that I loved to do. I knew that I would never be able to stand at the front door of the church and squat down and talk to little children face to face. Those don't seem like very much, but when you lose them, they seem like a lot. You know, you have to go through a mourning period over things like things you used to do that you love to do that you can't do anymore and you won't do again this side of glory. You just won't. So I descended into a depression. There had been times in my life when I was probably upset about something or uh, overwhelmed by something, the loss of a loved one, um, uh, maybe the loss of a job, um, things like that. I mean, there's a lot of things that can bring that on. Um, divorces, uh, bankruptcies, uh, financial catastrophes, floods, hurricanes, you fill in the blank, you know what I'm talking about. You know better than I do. So I descended into depression in this bed. That's room 2115 of St. Luke's Medical Tower in Houston. I lay in that bed day after day, week after week, month after month, unable to do one single solitary thing for myself at all. 38-year-old man turned 39 in that bed. So this is really a story about overcoming it's a story about finding a new normal because sometimes things happen to you and you will never be the same again. But you don't have to be defeated by it. God can use that to bless other people. So one morning I'm lying there in the bed. I'm listening to some music, very familiar music to me. Uh, on a, these, were, these were the days of cassette machines. And so I'm listening to some music. There was a song by a group called the Imperials. And this song is called Praise the Lord. And the song says something like this. When you're up against a struggle and you don't think you can go on, praise the Lord. Now that sounds like the dumbest theology I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Things are really awful down here. Thank you, God. I mean, really. But you have to listen to the whole thing. Typically, you know, you have to listen to the old thing because there's more coming. It says, when you praise the Lord, the things that seem to bind you will fall harmlessly behind you. Well, I mean, you couldn't get more bound than I was. I was bound to that bed. I couldn't get out. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. So the things that bind you will fall behind you when you praise the Lord for whatever circumstances you find yourself in. 
Well, I was digesting that, and the next song came on. It was actually written and recorded by a friend of mine from Houston, David Meese. And David Meese wrote a song called We Are the Reason. And in this song, it says, I finally found a reason for living. I was looking for one. Because I was not going to be the person I was before this. I finally found a reason for living. It's in giving. Every part of your life to him. Every part. Even the really bad, difficult, painful parts. Because then he can use that. So I've listened to this and God softening me up through this. Becoming very emotional. I wasn't a particularly outwardly emotional person before all this happened to me. I tried to be strong. I'm a military son. My dad was in the army. Never saw him shed a tear in his life. Never did. And so I was mostly that way. But now I've been hit by a truck and I'm lying in the bed and I'm really miserable and I have seen heaven and had it taken away from me. No one knows. I told no one for another two years almost from this right here. I didn't have the words for it. So I'm suffering from heaven withdrawal. I've been there and didn't get to stay. I'm in this condition. Nobody can give me any hope. And I'm depressed. And I'm listening to this music about finding a reason for living and having the things that bind me fall behind me. And so I began to lift my hand, the only thing I didn't break in the accident, And this is what I said to God. I don't understand why this happened to me. I was on my way to church. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Can't you send somebody here who understands what this is like? If I could just talk to somebody who gets it, I think I could keep going. If I could just find out what the results are, even if they're bad, I'll know what I'm living with, I'm dealing with. Can't you send somebody here, anybody? God speaks to me through the music directly. And here's what he said. Son, you're having the biggest pity party in the history of the world. And you need to get over it. Well, I thought that was a little strong. And he said, he said, this is not about you. This is about me. And what I can do through you now, I could never do before the truck hits you. You need to turn your test into a testimony. You need to take your mess and make a message. You need to take the pain and find a purpose for it, and then you'll know why you went through this. Well, you're all amen, but let me, let me say this to your face. You need to do that. Lady came up to me, uh, uh, even uh, my wife and I were teaching a ladies' conference north of San Francisco, Santa Rosa, I think. So we're in this conference, and we're, we're having a great conference, and uh, the women are really enjoying themselves, and we're really getting uh, some really, re- seeing God do some amazing things. And this woman walks up to me in a break, and she says to me, can I ask you a question? And then she starts crying before she even gets the question out. I said, sure. I said, I don't have the answers to a lot of questions, but I'll do my best. She said, sir, you were talking about forgiveness and starting over again. I said, uh-huh. She said, I have had not one, not two, not three, but five abortions. Can I ask you two questions? I said, shoot. She said, will I ever see those children again? And can God ever really forgive me for this? 
I looked at her, I was holding her hand at that point, and I said, lady, I got good news for you. The answer to both of your questions is a resounding yes. Yes, those children were were his before he loaned them to you. And whether you decided to keep them or not, he's keeping them because they're his. And one of these days you'll see them again when you go. Are you going? She said, I sure have. I've made my reservation. And we're taking reservations tonight. And she said the other thing, I said the other thing is that God can forgive you. Yes. There's only one thing he really wouldn't forgive you for, and that's if you reject him. You reject him. Because for who he is. Uh, uh, beyond that, he, he, everything else is on the table. Amen. She started just crying uncontrollably. So Eva's on one side of her and I'm on the other side. And I know she left there happy, even though of some decisions that she made in the past. You see, she found the new normal. She was never going to live the way that she lived before. In, in a sense of her own shame for her own self, in a sense of her own remorse. She knew where she was going, and she knew who she was going to see when she got there. I was uh, in church on a Sunday morning uh, at a table, and this lady walked up to me with a very old copy of the book, 90 Minutes in Heaven, and she asked me to sign it. And I said, yes, ma'am, I, I will be glad to sign it. She says, you won't believe what happened last, last night. That would have been Saturday night because this was Sunday morning. I said, what happened? She said, my ex-husband called me. He hadn't spoken to me in years. And I got to tell you, Mr. Piper, it was a nasty, mean divorce. He abused me. It was terrible. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, he called me, and the first thing that went out of his mouth was, is that dead guy going to be in church tomorrow? (laughs) And I said, you mean the guy that wrote 90 Minutes in Heaven? Yeah. Yeah, he's a a guest speaker this morning. He's speaking in church. And my ex-husband said, can I come to church with you? And I said, well, yes, I always wanted you to come. I tried to get you to come. I know. If I come, he said, can I sit beside you? I'll save you a place in church. And she turned like this and she said, Mr. Piper, he's sitting right over there. He came and he sat beside me in church. And I've come up here to ask you to pray for me because at 2.30 this afternoon, we're meeting in the pastor's office. And today... We're going to start over again. I think some of us probably need to start over again. You know, I, I've been knocked down, but not out. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we just need a holy defibrillation, you know. We just need God to shock us into what we need to do next. And we need to stop being victims and become victors. That's what we need to do. But I will say this to you. It's a decision. It won't come naturally. You don't just flip a switch. You just don't say, okay, I'm tired of this. You know, I, I'm, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I bet you know the feeling in whatever, whatever you've gone through, whatever circumstances you find yourself in. So I, I want to make this... I want to make this serious as possible because if you haven't experienced it, you're going to have something that just takes the wind out of your sails. That's just going to bring you to your knees, even if you don't have any knees. It's just going to just it's just going to virtually bring you down. And so your choices are these: give up, be paralyzed. And look, you know people like that. Something happened to them. It was terrible. And for the most part, they're off the track. They've been off the track for years. 
They're just existing. They're just kind of getting through another day, and that's it. Well, you don't have to live that way. I mean, you may not be the way you were before, but you don't have to be destroyed by this. You can use this to bless other people. I mean, don't. all I wanted was somebody to put their arm around me and say, yes, I understand how you feel. I went through the same thing, and I couldn't find anybody like this. And God was saying to me, shame on you. You need to be that person. And then you'll know why you went through this. You could do that. I think I told you last night, maybe I didn't, about the elderly man who came up to me and told me his wife died. He was crying. He said, I I can't believe God took her and left me. She was the good one. I said, was she a follower of Jesus? Oh, yes. She was very devoted to the Lord. I tried to serve him myself, but I was anywhere, nowhere close to her. But he left me here, and I'm so alone. I preached in Las Vegas about three weeks ago, and the pastor had lost his wife six months ago. Married for many years. We sat there in his den because he wanted me to spend a night with him, and I think I knew why. He said, I want to hear about heaven. I want to know where she's at. Well, let's face it, he preached preached on the subject many years. But now his most beloved person is there. She's in heaven. And he says, I'm just so lonely. And I said, Pastor, you know, we talked about this. I talked about this with her, Julie, before she died. We, we, we sat down and talked about heaven and, and the fact that you might be left alone. I said, it's like that guy I was talking about, the old fellow that lost his wife. And he's talking about how much he missed her and everything. And I looked at him and I said, was your wife a follower? And he said, yes. And, and the pastor says, yeah, I remember the story because then, then you said, well, then you know where she is. She's not lost. No one's lost if you know where they are. She's in heaven. He said, but I miss her. I said, I understand that. But how many times have you encountered people in your life and ministry who've lost their spouse or their child? I said, you need to put your arm around those people and say, I understand how you feel because you know where she is. She's having the best time. I mean, she's doing cartwheels down the street of gold. But you're down here. So who better to comfort someone else than someone who's lost a spouse? He began to weep. We embraced. He's a big old guy. And I I just could hear it in his his spirit because he knew. And next next morning I preached in that church and he, he related that story I didn't intend for him to. But he looked at his own congregation. He said, I know what I need to do now. What are you going to do? Who, who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to encourage? Who do you need to lift up and share with? I mean, who? I was speaking in a church north of Houston. This church is called Fellowship of the Woodlands, now called Woodlands Church. Harry Shook's church, very prominent author, writer. He and his wife, and this church has got about 25,000 members on Sunday. They have six services in a row. So if you ever think, oh my goodness, how can we do all this church? I try six services in a row. And I'm preaching in all of them. And I'm tired. And I'm signing books in between the services as if there wasn't a whole lot going on already. So I'm out signing books. And then I go back to the green room. They have a room, kind of a holding room, before you go out and preach again and again and again. 
And I'm in that room getting ready to go out, and the kind of the one of the pastors walks in and says, Don, there's somebody here to see you. I said, Brother, I don't really have any time to see anybody right now. I said, I'm getting ready to go out and preach again. And when you preach like six times in a row, about the third service, you're saying, Did I say that? Right. I said that. Did I say that? You know, because it just kind of all runs together. So I'm getting ready to go out there, and he says, You got somebody you're going to see? I said, I can't see. He says, Well, she really, really wants to see you. And I said, Well, all right. What's her name? Andrea. Andrea? Send her in. Well, about three, four years before that, I got a phone call from a father, a very distraught father. And the father says to me, I almost killed my daughter. I said, what happened? He said, we were on jet skis and we collided. It was my fault. My daughter is a 16-year-old cheerleader in high school. I virtually severed her right leg. Would you pray for her? I said, no. I want to see her. She needs to talk to somebody who understands how she feels. Where is she? Herman Hospital in Houston. Well, that's the hospital they took me the night that I was brought into the hospital. I love going to that hospital. I hate going to that hospital. But I told him I would go, so I'm at the hospital now, and I'm walking down the, aisle, you know, the hallway looking for Andrea's room. I find her. I knock on Andrea's door. I hear this weak little voice from behind the door. Come in. I open the door, there's this beautiful young 16-year-old girl lying in a bed. She has IVs all over her because she had this accident in a lake. And that, and that wound is filled up with lake water. So she has infections galore, not to mention the fact that her leg is just hanging by a few pieces of skin. And I walked over here and I said, Andrea, my name is Don, you don't know me, but um, I wanted to come by and see you and, and pray for you and tell you that I understand how you feel. She looked at me like, You've got to be kidding. You can't possibly understand how I feel. I reached in my pocket and I pulled out some photographs that are much gra more graphic than the one I showed you earlier. And, I mean, nobody would like these pictures except maybe eighth grade boys, maybe. <laughs> They're really, really gro gross. And so some of the girls are going, yes, they would, they would like to. So I pulled out the pictures and, and they're looking at, she's looking at the pictures and it's like, oh no, this happened to you? I said, uh-huh. So now she knows I understand how she right. feels, and that's what she wanted to see anyway. I said, uh, and then she says this, is that thing on your leg? What is that? I said, it's a bone-scratching device invented by a doctor named Elizarov, a Russian doctor. They break your leg and then stretch your bones to replace the part that's missing. You don't think they'll put one of those on me, do you? I said, honey, you better hope so. Otherwise, they may not be able to save your leg. So you can lead some more cheers. I don't think I'll ever lead any more cheers in my life. I said, I think you will. It's just going to be a while from now, and you're going to have to go through a lot of really bad stuff. I'm not going to whitewash it for you. It's going to be bad. Okay. Well, I want to pray for you. I don't want to keep you too long. People always visit hospitals too long. I said, so I, want to, I just want to pray for you. Mom, Grandma, you come over there and take her other hand, and I'm going to hold this hand. We're going to pray for Andrea. So we prayed, and they were very emotional because this is her little girl, and they don't know if she's going to make it. So I prayed for her in a very, very passionate prayer. And I, I, you know, kissed her on the forehead, and I said, i got to go now, Andrea. I said, before I go, I want to give you something. What are you going to give me? I said, it's just really a card, but the card has all my telephone numbers on it. It has all my email addresses on it. It has every single way you can get in touch with me is on this card. So you can call me 24 hours a day, 
It doesn't matter when you call me, just call me and I will be direct with you. I'll tell you the truth. I won't candy coat anything. I will be here with you until one day we walk again. You think I will? I said, I certainly do. In fact, let's make a deal right now. One of these days, you and I will go for a walk together. I'd like that very much, she said. I said, all right, it's a date. Now watch what I'm going to do. She says, what are you doing? I said, watch this. I let go of her hand, and I did this. I took the doorknob to the hospital room. And she said, I said, you see that? She said, what? See what? I said, Andrea, I just walked over to the door. You think I'll walk again? I sure do, honey. But it's going to be a long time from now, and a lot of stuff has to happen first. Call me. Okay? I, I walked out of the room, and I just didn't know whether I'd ever hear from her. I did. Three weeks later at 3 o'clock in the morning, the phone rings. Oh, no, who is this? I mean, the ministry, the, if the clock rings at 3 o'clock, oh, it's yeah. not good. It's not so I pick up the phone, and I hear this voice. I said, who is this? Andrea. Andrea, what's the matter, honey? They put that thing on my leg. <laughs> I said, oh, I'm so sorry, really. But you know, that means they can save your leg. That, that's, they, they think there's a shot at saving your leg. And she said, well, I don't know. I said, I know. I said, but it's going to be pa painful and difficult, but you re remember me walking in the hospital room? Uh-huh. Well, she asked me some questions that, that only somebody who wore that would ask. Yeah. Uh, and so I answered her questions very directly out of prayer with her, and, I, and we hung up, and uh, you know, I felt so bad about that, but I, I knew what the results could be. And so she started calling me, thankfully, in the daytime after that. And we would talk, and, and her voice got a little more strong, and she began to kind of come out of it. And then suddenly, for about four or five months, I hadn't heard from Andrea. I thought, i got to call her and find out how she's doing. I mean, she ought to be getting that thing off pretty soon and starting therapy and rehab. And I didn't have to because I got an email from her mother. I'd only met her mother once there in the hospital room. So we didn't really know each other. Right. So I'm opening an email from Andrea's mother, and here's what it said. Listen to this. Dear Don, you won't believe what happened at the doctor's office today. I took Andrea for an appointment, and we were standing in the waiting room, sitting in the waiting room of the, of the, um, of the doctor, the orthopedic surgeon's uh, office, and there were all kinds of people in there, you know, like neck braces and casts and stuff. It looks like a mass unit, those places do. And she said... I was going to turn to say something to Andrea, and she was missing. And she had walked away on that thing. And she was over at the other side of the doctor's office waiting room, and she was sitting about a man about my age, and she said, you won't believe what happened. I, I watched her uh, sit down and talk to that man, and she said, sir, I saw you sitting over here, and you got a device on your leg. I got one on mine, too, and I'm about to get mine off and start therapy. And you look very sad, so I want to come over and meet you. My name is Andrea. And I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I wrote my email addresses and my phone numbers down on this card, and I wanted you to know that if you want to call me, anytime you want to call me, I'll answer your questions. And she said, I, I understand how you feel. And the man looked at her and said, God sent you here today. And then Andrea's mother complete, completed her e email to me by saying this, I thought you'd like to know Andrea found her new normal today.
Some of you need to find yours. You have somebody that's going through a long, dark night, and they need to hear from you. Well, I'm there in the green room that day going out to preach for about the third or fourth time, and Andrea is standing outside. And uh, the guy brought her in, and she walked across the room and threw her arms around me. And she said, I heard you were going to be here today, and I made my parents bring me here. And I said, I'm so glad you did. You look great, and, I, and you're walking so well. And she said, yeah, the therapy is really hard, but it's working. About that time, the pastor says, Don, I'm sorry. It's time to go. It's, the service has already started, and it's almost time for you preach. And I said, Andrea, honey, I would like to meet with you afterwards, but there's three more services. Maybe we can get together. And she says, oh, it's okay. I just wanted to come and see you and let you see how I'm doing. And I said, well, I'm so proud of you. I couldn't be happier. And she says, and tell you one more thing. I said, what's that? She said, I graduated from high school on time, and I got to walk across the stage and get my diploma. She said it was very emotional. Everybody stand up and clapped for me. But I would ask you to pray for me, Don. I said, you know I will. I always have been. She says, because I'm starting college in the fall, and I wanted you to know I'm going out for cheerleader. And I said, you'll be the best cheerleader that school ever had. Don, it's time to go. I said, honey, I got to go. And she said, would you walk with me into church? I said, we said we would, didn't we? They're in that hospital room, and today is the day. I took Andrea's arm, and we walked down to the church service. I have sure nobody there knew who we were or why we were doing that, but it sure meant a lot to us. Neither one of us were ever going to be the same again, but instead of being bitter, we were better. Let me help you. So let me say this to your face. You got work to do. Virtually everybody in this room at one time or another has gone through a very difficult experience, painful experience. You keep that to yourself. You can be angry at God. It won't bother him a bit. He's God. He'd rather you be angry at him than ignore him. In fact, anger sometimes is the beginning of knowing God. You know, because you're actually communicating now. Before that, you didn't believe in him. So get in touch. You know, he's the one that made you. And he wants to sustain you, and he can use whatever circumstances you find yourself in to bless someone else. So when you put your head on the pillow tonight, you remember this, the, dis, the, the difference between this and this. God bless you. There's some verses in, in 2 Corinthians that, that really comforted me and encouraged me during this time. I thought they were so important, I put them in this book, 90 Minutes in Heaven. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Based on what I just said, hear this. All praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of every mercy. And let's face it, I needed some. And you will too. He is the source of every mercy and the God who comforts us. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Get it? That's what he's saying here. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So I had to get hit by a truck to figure this out. I hope you don't. 
I mean, I'm confessing here. I, I, I hope you don't. You say, well, I, I didn't get hit by a truck. I'm, you're not the standard for misery. <laughs> but, you know, God can use your divorce, your, your illness, your loss, your fire, your bankruptcy. He can use all those things that are so painful and difficult for us, and we struggle sometimes to overcome and endure to bless other people. I think, I think Andrea probably did become the best cheerleader that school yeah, ever had. Sure. With our, all of her scars and all of her emotional pain and all the things she went through, when she was cheering, you know, I think it was probably real because of all the nightmare suffering that she went through. And you can do that. I mean, you can do that. And I'm urging you. I'm encouraging you to do that. While I was lying in the bed, I was thinking about heaven. Well, I saw it and lost it. So that was part of this whole picture here. Tomorrow night we'll focus on it, but I do want to say this about heaven tonight. Heaven is the most real place of all. Here, the suffering is temporary. Here it can be profound and overwhelmingly painful. Yeah, there are great things in life. How about driving through the, from, from Manchester to here on a sunny afternoon in October? and thinking there is no God? Or how about holding a baby and thinking there is no God? I mean, we know there is, and we know that God is good all the time. But sometimes bad things happen to good people here on earth. And so there's a place where there's no pain. There's a place where there's no suffering. There's a place where there's not even any tears. No tears. And so when the truck hit me, I was standing there at the gates of heaven, 12 of them. I was at one. And I was surrounded by people I had known and loved in life who preceded me in death. And many of them had suffered. I mean, my grandfather had the heart attack. I rode with him in the ambulance. Uh, my friend Mike, who was killed at 18 years old, was, a, was a, a college freshman, a four-star letterman who had a full scholarship to play football at LSU, and he never played it down because on the way home from a hunting trip, a truck hit him and killed him. I mean, I was 18 years old. We walked past that casket in the church and looked down at our friend who used to sit beside us at lunch. And he was gone. And it hurt. It really hurt a lot. Well, I saw him at the gates of heaven. He was there to meet me when I arrived. So, <laughs> heaven is real. It's the great reunion that we all long for because if we live long enough, the people that we love here began to leave us. I remember there was a comedian years ago, some of you won't remember him, but, but anybody who's been around for years, uh, named George Burns. And his wife, his wife, Gracie Allen, in fact, he played in a series of movies about God. He played God in the movies. And his wife, Gracie Allen, who was also a very famous uh, comedian, she died early in their life. He never remarried after she died. But he wrote a book called All My Friends Are Dead. And it sounds like it'd be a depressing book, but it's actually a hysterical book because it's a, it's a book about Jack Benny and, and, all, and, and Gracie Allen. It's a book about all the people he loved and lost and how much joy they brought to his life. But what he was saying, because he died at 100 years old, if you live long enough, all the people who love you will mostly precede you. And we're left alone here. Not alone in the spiritual sense, but alone in the sense that all the people we love are gone. Yeah. I've done funerals where the people who carried the casket out to the gravesite worked 
at the funeral home because there was no one left to bury this person. Yeah. So, what about now? You know, are you ready to go? And what about now? Who's waiting for you at the gates of heaven? And what are you doing on the way between now and then? Well, the first thing you need to do is get ready for what's next because you're, you're going to have the same thing happen to you someday. Somebody will get a phone call. Come quick. <coughs> Papa's dying. Mm-hmm. I got that phone call. I walked past him in the church and looked down and saw him. The body, the earth suit that he occupied here on earth, there in the casket, because he was gone. Mm-hmm. I saw him in heaven. And, and you're going to go through that experience. Somebody's going to go through that experience for you. So death is sure and certain, but heaven is even more so. So are you ready to go? If Mike got killed at, at 18 and my grandfather died at 70, that's not very long, either one of those. And we know we don't get to stay here. So are you ready, really, in your heart, do you know that if something were to happen to you on the rain slick highways on the way home tonight, do you really know that if you were... God forbid to die tonight, you would go to heaven. And if you're sure about that, praise God for that. I'll see you there. But if you're not, don't walk out of one of these doors without being ready. And we are taking reservations tonight. I mean, the reality of it is a church like this is doing this because they're interested in seeing you in heaven. You may not belong to this church, but you could starting now. But here's the real key. You've got to make a reservation. You're not going because you're good and you've lived a good life. Thank God for that. You're not going because you're a member of some church. That's not going to get you in. You say, well, those are good things. Yes, absolutely those are good things. Those are great things, actually. But there's really only one way. There's an old hymn that says, what can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So that's the only way you're getting in. It's a holy place. God lives there. They're singing holy, holy, holy up there. And so you can't go if you're unholy. Well, that leaves me out. Yes, except Jesus provided a way. He can forgive you of those sins. You can stand in front of the great gate of heaven as you're entering in and know that you're eligible because you've been forgiven. Yes. You are now made holy in the presence of God because your sins are forgiven. Amen. Yes. And when he did that on the cross, it was completed. The reason he looked down from the cross and said, it is finished, is because it is finished. It's done. But you need to accept it. You know, somebody gives you a gift, it's not a gift if you don't accept it. You have to take it. So Jesus gave his life so that you could be eligible to go to heaven. He died on the cross, and as we were saying this afternoon, he not only forgives your sins and not only makes you whole that way, he can heal those illnesses, those things that that hurt us and and, and destroy us and things that sidetrack us here on earth. He He can stand in that gap and cover those things as well. He took all that, th- that stuff with him and he said, it is finished. It is completed. So, has there ever been a time in your life when you really said yes to Jesus on that basis? How many people in the world know about Jesus? It's not just knowing him. It's here. It's accepting him. 
in here what he did on the cross. So I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And everybody could pray along with me, even though you may have said something similar to this in your life and, and, and took care of everything and made that reservation. Because we do love you here and we want to love you there. So I don't think any of you here for accident by accident tonight. I think this is important for you. And it would be worth it just for you. Just before one of you here. It's altogether possible that somebody here in the room needs a new normal. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Tonight would be a good night to do some business with God. You know, like I did in the bed. Maybe it's time for you to turn the page. I have a book out there called Heaven is Real, Lessons on Earthly Joy. And it's about that subject. I mean, it's based on the premise if you know where you're going, shouldn't you be having a better trip on the way? Yeah. So maybe it's time for you to turn the page. You don't want to live the way you're living, defeated, overwhelmed, broken down by the circumstances of life. And it's time for you to look outside yourself like God told me. You know, you need to get over it, son, and turn your pain into a purpose. Come on. So if God's speaking to you that way, this would be a perfect time to do that. In fact, whatever God is telling you to do, just be obedient. Yeah, obedient. I have people say to me sometimes, I, I would believe in God if I could see him. Well, do you believe in the brakes in your car? Will you put them on and stop? Have you ever seen them? More than likely not. You don't even understand them. It doesn't matter whether you understand them or not. You trust them. And you use them. So just trust God tonight. Would you? And be born into the kingdom. Let's give the angels something to sing about in heaven tonight. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the chance to be here tonight. And I thank you for every soul in the room. No one's here by accident. There are such things as accidents, but this isn't one of them. This is a divine appointment here. So I pray for everybody in the room. There's only really two categories of folks. And one is the, those who are ready to go and those that aren't. So we're asking, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, invade this place and help all of us to be of one accord when it comes to salvation. Salvation. Saved. Saved from hell. Saved from eternity separated from God. Saved from our sins. Saved. So that's what we're looking for right now. So if you're not sure of your salvation, you're not sure you're going to heaven, that's you. Let's bow. Just I hope you have your head bowed, eyes closed, no looking around. This prayer is for you. If, if you're not sure you have reservations in heaven, with no one looking around, just, just lift up your hand and say, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. Okay. All right. Let's all pray this prayer together if you feel inclined. Because we're going to ask God now to save not only the folks that raise their hands, but to remind our each of us, our own selves, that day, that moment, that time when we said yes to Jesus and put a new spring in our step as we begin to share our own faith with those people who are not ready. That's what we're still here for. So God help us do this. So let's pray together. Dear God, we love you and we know that you love us. You sent your son Jesus to die for us. And tonight I understand that he died for me. I am a sinner. 
I know I have done things that displease you. And I didn't do some things I should have done. And tonight I've discovered I'm not just sorry. I want to change. I want to turn from the life I've been living and I want to live for you from this moment forward. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Wash them away. And welcome me into your kingdom. Now I want to live for you for the rest of my days. Until you call me home, help me be found faithful here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, the Bible says if you say that and you mean that in your own words, they are now officially singing your name in heaven. It's being recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life up there. They are expecting you. If you are that person, the first thing you want to do is share it with other people. Let them know that you've, you've, you've made a commitment to Christ. It's the best thing that could ever happen to you. So don't keep it to yourself. In a moment, we're going to have an altar call, a time of invitation. It'd be great if you came down and shared it with us. We're not going not to ask you to say anything tonight. We're not going to embarrass you in any way. And quite the contrary, we're excited yeah. for you. Yeah. We want to hear about yeah. this. Yeah. Now we'll know how to pray for you. Yes. Maybe others need to come tonight and just say, I need a new normal. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't want to go on like this. God's speaking to you. And if he's got people that, that, that you know you can minister to, then commit yourself tonight to do that. Maybe there's somebody you need to go home and call this very night. Invite to church tomorrow night to hear about heaven. There's somebody that you maybe have wronged. Somebody you're crossways with. And you need a new normal. You need to start that relationship all over again. You need forgiveness and a new beginning. That's God's specialty. Whatever God's telling you to do tonight, you know what you need to do now. Just like Andrea. Handing her card to that old fella saying, I understand how you feel. And he said, God sent you here today. And God wants to say that to you too, through somebody you need to speak to. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us. This is a service where everybody in the room can make a decision right now. Show us what you would have for us to do. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's all stand together, would you? Pastors here. Others perhaps will join us. So if you need a if you need to share your decision with someone, come on now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Come now. Come quickly. What is God saying to you? You made a new commitment to Christ. Maybe you've asked Jesus into your heart. Come share that with us. We'll be delighted. We don't even have the words for it. We'll be that excited. Others come for prayer. How many times have I heard in services like this over the years, someone walk up to me and say, I know what I need to do now. That's you. Come on. That's right. That's right. Come on. Come to Jesus.